Welcome to Creative Chat, the show in which creativity is celebrated and explored with a little therapy thrown in. Each show brings artists from different modalities together to discuss their art, their creative process, and how we all are interconnected. Tune in today to find out how with your host, Dr. Judy Bloom and entertainer, Richard Skipper. Hello, Judy. Hello, Richard. How are you? I am doing great. How are you? I'm wonderful today. <laughs> well, it's Thursday. It is the sun is shining here. It's a beautiful, beautiful day in New York. All What's right. it like down in Florida? It, gorgeous. Could, you couldn't, we couldn't ask for better weather. So a little, a little warm, but beautiful. And uh, one of our guests is actually in Far Island today. So uh, she is, I mean, sitting on the beach, looking beautiful as always. I am so excited about today's show because three friends of mine uh, are here, and I'm sure they will be th friends of yours and friends of our audience as well. Uh, all three of them have events that are coming up. So I wanted to bring them on to talk about this. But before we get there, I want to take a moment uh, to uh, talk about one of my favorite entertainers, a true artist, and that was Tina Turner. Yeah, I, I interviewed her years ago when I was doing um, TV news for ABC in Philadelphia at the time. And she was performing at the Forum in Philadelphia with, on a double bill with Rod Stewart. Wow. And I did a live, a live shot with, with both Tina Turner and Rod Stewart. It was amazing. And she was, she was just the most gracious, wonderful, sweet, warm person. In, in real life, you know, just fantastic person. Well, she's the same age uh, as my mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I always used to tease my mom. I'd go, why don't you move like that? Because <laughs> they were the same exact age. I mean, and you've heard everyone talking about her life and career and her legacy. But yeah. what I really love about her, and of course, we had Marion Alda on the show a few weeks ago, oh. is her major success happened after she was 40. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the first African-American woman to be on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, and it was, uh, I think, 12 Grammys and one a milestone after the next. Yeah. And think about this, to have a movie made about your life uh, that has inspired so many people, to have a Broadway show uh, about your life. Um, she is the pinnacle for me, and I, yeah. I unfortunately never got a chance to see her live, yeah. and that is truly one of the biggest regrets of my life. Yeah, she was phenomenal in person. I mean, truly phenomenal in person, and those legs, <laughs> you know, to die for. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk about somebody else who's, uh, well, all of our guests are phenomenal. Our first guest that I'm bringing on, and I'm going to bring her on so she can hear what I have to say about her. I have said this before. You know, there are certain artists that you meet, and I know the word artist is thrown around a lot, but Natalie Douglas is a true artist. I still remember walking into Broadway Baby in the 80s and hearing her sing Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. And with all respect to Barbara Streisand, who until that moment, that to me was the definitive version. But Natalie's version of this, and I've said this to you before, Natalie, and she probably gets tired of me saying it, um, it still stays with me. And I have had the great fortune of sharing the stage with Natalie, uh, being in the audience with Natalie so many times, and we're lucky to have her today because she never stops. 
Um, forget the ever-ready bunny. It's Natalie Douglas. She's <laughs> constantly working. And kudos to you, Natalie. And uh, congratulations. And uh, before we dig in, uh, and I'm hopefully going to get it on here. I just sent it to Danny to see if he could transfer it to an MP4. Um, you have performed in a tribute to uh, Tina Turner. Did you ever see her perform live? Yeah, uh, not only did I see her perform live, but uh, when I was little, she lived in our neighborhood. Oh. And so I knew her first as Ronnie and Craig's mom. You know, the, there are these two boys who would hang out around the uh, around the neighborhood, and um, she would come and, and call them in, you know, for dinner or whatever. So I knew her as this adorable mom in knee socks and, like, a plaid skirt, you know. And it wasn't until, I don't even know, I think it was maybe seven or eight, I saw her on television and thought, wait, is that, is she... Oh, like it, you know, suddenly dawned on me that she could be this ferocious, like powerhouse on stage. And then she was just one of the nice moms. And she, exactly what Judy said, she was so kind and so funny and so like chill, you know, just the most warm and gracious person and not at all like the, the, woman who's tearing up the stage, you know, that she was when she performed, which was a great lesson in like how you don't have to be on all the time, you know, and how, um, I really, I still think to this day, and you know, Richard and I, we've had this conversation. I think the mo the greatest talents in this world are also the greatest people. So often, you know, when someone has enormous talent, that's not the person who walks around backstage lording it over other people or, or trying to get their way or, you know, don't you know who I am? Like, that's not those people. The greatest talents are there. You know, I, I did a, I was in a Patti LaBelle taping many years ago and Patti got hungry and <laughs> she looked at all of us. And at the time I was working with a production company that she was working with and she looked at everybody, not just the team and the staff and her staff but the audience and she said is anybody else hungry <laughs> and she ordered fried chicken for 200 people you know like and she didn't have to do that you know I, I it's funny because and I've heard of people who have worked with her that she comes to rehearsal uh, with uh, her famous macaroni and cheese and uh, <laughs> and her her fried chicken and everything yeah. And she is, you know, and of course, um, I was lucky enough to have as a friend, Sarah Dash. Oh, and, uh, me too. She and, was so lovely. And the stories that she would tell about her. And, it, you know, I was scheduled to interview Sarah, uh, and she passed away <gasps> before we were to do our second <sighs> interview. Um, it, she was just absolutely, but I agree with you. And another thing, and I'm glad that you bring this up because I don't think you can hide it. I don't think that you can actually, uh, come on and pretend to be anything that you truly are not. Mm -hmm. And, uh, if you are a mean or a nasty person, I think that's going to come through in your performance. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. And I, I interviewed, you know, when I was doing the, um, TV news, especially when I was in, in both Philadelphia and Los Angeles, I was interviewing lots and lots and lots of celebrities, right? And 
you know, almost to a person, exactly what you're talking about it was true. That the, the bigger the star, the the better, the greater person you were. You know, and I think that is because they don't have any, they don't have to prove anything anymore. You know? So, so they can, they're comfortable with themselves, and when you're comfortable with yourself, you radiate that, and other people really pick that up. You know. Yeah, I agree. Well, Natalie, you brought up something that I want to go back to because I want to talk about sure. you. Um, you talk about seeing her, you know, without the accoutrements of fame and fortune and all of that going with it. Um, you also, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, you um, are constantly, it seems to me, uh, as an outsider, uh, are on the treadmill. Uh, and what I, <laughs> what I mean by that is you are constantly putting out product. Um, you know, you've been in residency at Birdland, mm -hmm. and uh, every month you bring in a brand new show. And <laughs> I was lucky enough, I saw you last summer, as you know, uh, in Provincetown, where I will be on August 5th, just putting that. Yay! When you were there last year, you were doing a show uh, about Lena Horne and other women that had inspired you. Mm -hmm. um, and I know, uh, and I want to bring this up because coming up next week, uh, for those of you who will be around, uh, you're going to be performing uh, Carmel, uh, mm -hmm. a show called Songs of the 60s. And if that wasn't enough, uh, just a few, you know, two weeks later, you're doing this Juneteenth Jubilee. Um, when you put these shows together, um, how, I mean, first of all, how are you constantly learning all this? <laughs> I want to know your secret. <laughs> well, it's weird. There are certain songs that, that are very easy to learn. Um, you know, a few years ago, I put together a Roberta Flack show for the first time. Um, and the hardest thing about that show was that there, at the time, there was no bio on Roberta and there was no documentary about her life. Um, you know, just this January, um, American Masters released a beautiful film about her life. But um, the hardest thing about that show is actually doing all the research because I had to go to uh, individual interviews that happened to be captured on YouTube or um, articles. I had to look through magazines and newspapers for the last 60 years, you know. Um, but the songs, for some reason, like they just went right into my brain and they stayed. Like I got those. Some of them, of course, I, I've been hearing since I was a kid. But but a lot of them, I try to find things that are new to me um, when I do a show too. And and some of they just went in really easily. Other shows are are harder. Joni Mitchell, whom I adore, and those songs I have listened to since I was a tot, um, and I love them with all my heart. But getting those lyrics, they're so beautiful. They're so like woven, you know, that you can't get a word wrong. You can't. If you do, then you're screwed for the rest of the song, you know. So um, that was tricky. It just depends on the show. But I love it. I love sharing my love for these artists. Obviously, I don't do a tribute to somebody I don't love. That would be weird. Um, you know, I don't care for him. Maybe you do. That would be strange. Um, and... Um, I love to talk about, I love to find the stories that are a little bit off the beaten path because, you know, the stories that we find on their Wikipedia page or the ones that we all know because we've heard over and over again, those stories are fun to relate, of course. Um, but I want to find something that maybe people who have a glancing experience with the performer doesn't already know. Um, and so, you know, that part's really fun for me. And I feel like 
once I'm in the head of of this is the material we've you know I always start with 45 songs and have to narrow it down um, then it's really easy to just work it until it gets there I will say last year we did the tribute series um, for um, from 2017 through 2020 um, monthly basically the first time we only did four in a row so that was you know four months of that year but then we kept building so that in 2020 2019 rather we did 11 shows uh, each show was a different artist every month and um, I I feel like it's the work is is all of the pieces, you know, the research piece and getting that in my brain <laughs> and and figuring out what stories to tell and having way more information than I could possibly share. Um, and um, because of who I am, politically speaking, there's usually an activist portion in terms of who the artist was because most of these artists are, are, you know, they follow what Nina Simone said, that an artist has to be an activist too, um, by virtue of most of them being black, but not all, you know, but also by virtue of moving in the world. And if you have a platform and you have a voice, it's on you to use it to the betterment of the world, I think. Um, and so, you know, I, I work to find those stories or songs in some cases, um, like with people like Dolly Parton, who doesn't take political stances, but you can tell in terms of the work she does, you know, behind the scenes. Um, and the, the things she does that she doesn't even get credit for. You know, there are a number of black um, high schools in Tennessee and in Georgia, it, throughout the South, that can trace their uniforms and their um, their band uniforms and their instruments to a gift from Dolly Parton. You know, she wants to make sure that no kid is as poor as she was when she grew up because she didn't know she was poor. You know, she had a great family. She had a great imagination. She had music, and so she didn't feel like she was poor, and she doesn't want any kid to feel like they don't have, you know, what they need. Um, so, yeah, I, I find those kind of stories, and then I work the songs, and I find this, the stories in the songs that I want to tell. And um, sometimes I have great good luck, and they just go in and stay like that. And sometimes I did have one show that was like the travel was too much because, you know, I'm usually gone like two weeks out of the month, and that month, I was gone up until the day of the show, and uh, I'll try not to do that ever again, because that show, I'd say, I, I remember it as, like, not having a single lyric, <laughs> but but when I watched the video, which I didn't do for a couple months because I was so traumatized, it wasn't that bad, <laughs> but, but it felt like it to me, oh my god. <laughs> well, I want you to stick around. Juneteenth um, Jubilee is going to be, I mean, what's going to be different about that? Well, it's it, in this instance, we're not celebrating one individual artist. We're celebrating, um, you know, the con contributions of many black artists. And in particular, I did the a Juneteenth Jubilee for the first time last year, because um, last year the holiday fell on the 20th, which was the Monday after. Um, and this year it falls on the Monday. So this year um, I'm in particular concentrating on songs of the 60s, songs of the civil rights movement, because um, one of the moments that Juneteenth kind of came back to the national platform before, you know, 
the last three years when it's been become a national holiday was in the 60s when um, black artists and, and activists um, spoke about it more in the mainstream and some people heard of it then for the first time even though it's been a holiday um, for black people since 1865 you know well I want you to stick around uh, yep I am, I am we're gonna bring on our next guest and um, I love that still I do too and uh, most of you out there know that I spent 20 years performing as Carol Channing. And again, you have to love that person to do that for that long. Uh, and luckily, I'm happy to say she loved me too. So that was a good one. So I am going to bring on, but before I bring her on, I'm going to show a very quick clip of hers. And I'm hoping to still get your clip on before the end of the show. Sure, baby. So here she is, uh, the one and only Quinn Limley as Rita Hayworth. Was shooting up in the Klondike when they got dancing. Folks were putting the blame on the lady known as Lou. I get you hungry for dinner at eight. I like the theater, but never go late. Oh, Mardomio, love me forever. Tonight, put the blame on me. And here she is. You are muted. Oh, no, there you are. Good. So, uh, first of all, I know that you also do a tribute to Queen. Yes. Uh, is that right? And your, one of your musicians was also one of the main musicians with Tina Turner. So yes, there's that six months of separation. Yes, we did the Olympic Queen celebration. And um, he, uh, Aurelian was the lead guitarist on Tina on Broadway. Wow. Now, so much have, have you ever seen her perform live? No, I never got, had the opportunity oh, to. And now, well, now I'm like, oh, I, I, I gotta start seeing everybody that is touring now. Diana Ross is out there. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Barry Manilow is coming in next week, and I'm trying to get tickets to see him next week. I've never seen him live. Uh, <gasps> But he's going to be at Radio City Music Hall next week. If any one of you are going to be in New York, uh, Quinn, I don't mean you know. I, as I said to uh, Judy a few moments ago, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had Marion Alda on the show, and I don't know Natalie and Quinn if you are familiar with her work, but go and see her. She's an amazing woman who has devoted her years later now to fighting ageism. And not giving away age or anything, but Quinn, I think you've been doing uh, Rita as long as I was doing uh, Carol, because we did so many events together. We did a lot of events together. Uh, we did a lot of events together. What mm -hmm. has changed as you've gotten older playing Rita Hayworth? Because we all know, and it's a part of your show as well, um, that she suffered with Alzheimer's at the end of her life. And as you are aging into this role, uh, 
you know, what has changed in terms of the way that you see her and the way that she really uh, uh, shades what you do? That's such a good question, Richard. It's interesting during uh, COVID, my writer, director, Carter Inskeep, rewrote the entire book. And so she's older, she's an older soul, she's saltier, she's um, she's making discoveries about the choices that she made and she is owning the choices that she made. And, um, you know, Kind of just there's a lot of discovery in in the show, and I and it, I'm dealing with so many issues, not just the Alzheimer's, alcoholism, about being a, a aging in Hollywood in the 40s and 50s. I mean that was really really hard. By the time you were 35, you were you were a woman with a past, and once you have children, you're you, you know you're used goods, and um, but she, you know she was a parent and she had her own production company, but she was. She worked for Columbia for 20 years and Harry Cohn was like infamous and you know, he was always having sex in his office and his idol was Mussolini and she was a piece of meat and um, for him and for a lot of her husbands as well, her first husband and then Orson Welles was her second husband and then she was a princess but Ali Khan went went to bed with Gilda and woke up with her. You know, that was the, yeah. yeah. So there, there are so many facets to this show, you know, so many topics. And we've, we've done a lot of benefits for the Alzheimer's Foundation, which we've done our activism, Natalie, giving back, because we always have to give back. I mean, that's part of being an artist. But you know, one of the things that I love about you, I mean, you have always been a uh, very strong-willed woman yourself in terms of the way that you have uh, pursued your career. And like Natalie, uh, you're tireless. I mean, uh, you know, and as you find that you're getting older, um, you know, right now, COVID did a number on all of us. And, uh, and uh, I'm 62 and, uh, you know, and not, God bless both of you. You performed during COVID. I was here doing what I'm doing right now and I'm starting to get out there again. And, you know, and I feel for myself as if I'm just starting over. Uh, it all feels so new to me and especially pursuing a career as Richard as opposed to doing Carol for so many years. It truly is starting over. Um, as the business has changed, mm -hmm. how has it changed for the better for you and how has it gotten harder, if you will? Well, I mean, being a woman and I, I just think being creative and, and be, producing and directing has really been great for me. And, and directing my tribute shows, I did Rebel Rebel, The Many Lives of David Bowie, The Ultimate Queen Celebration it was with Mark Martel. And now I have a, a French Canadian, another French Canadian singer, uh, Yvonne Pidneau. And then I did uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Wall. And I've, I bring very theatrical elements into that. And Paul and I did that. And I just wanted to mention, um, Richard, that, you know, yes, performing, I came back to Don't Tell Mamas, which I had been headlining casinos and performing arts centers, 
um, for you know the past 20 years. And Paul, I hadn't performed for two years. I was producing and directing, but I hadn't been performing. And so Paul said, you need to go back where you started and be in an intimate space. And then um, I'm going back into theaters in November. So I have a seven month residency. I just opened on Monday. And, and don't tell mamas. And it was really, in terms of aging and life, um, it was the first time I stood on the stage and Paul wasn't there. My husband died unexpectedly two months ago. And he, yeah, so it was, you know, I, I'm in this part of my life where like, I'm saying yes to everything. And I'm, I'm here on Fire Island with my friends and I'm going to France in two weeks to the south of France and Paris. And I went, yeah, I'm just saying yes. And I'm, I'm finding that um, I'm just fearless. I have nothing to lose. I have nothing well, to lose. I hope you don't mind my going where I'm about to go with this. Uh, but not only uh, did uh, Paul passed away, and I am so sorry. I hope you got my message when I called. I did, I did, I did. I wrote you back. Uh, but, um, but you also, Elliot Ames was such a supporter of yours mm -hmm. that I thought, oh my God, because they both passed away within close proximity. Within two weeks. Other, within two weeks of each other. I um, wrote that article for Cabaret Scenes on him. Uh, uh, how... Do you deal, I mean, with the grieving process, you also, many people work through it to keep working and to doing what they need to do, but how are you able to just forge through this without that support system around you that was always there for you? Well, I, I through my work, through by just doing, and and I found the first the first thing I knew to do with with after Paul died because I didn't know what to do was make an omelet. I was like Julia Child, I'm going to cook, and I've been surrounded by friends and family um, through this whole process. I mean, my support group and the music the music um, community has been just incredible, and I've just. I've just said yes to things. And I think that Paul would have wanted me to do that because through my work and through my being, I'm bringing his legacy. I'm, I'm, I'm living his legacy. You know, he, he was my best friend. I, I, Natalie, I know you have such a wonderful um, marriage and relationship and uh, Paul was my best friend and, and Danny with you, Richard, I, he, I really have, had 20 years of walking the walk with my manager, my producer, my my best friend, my soulmate, my lover, my you know partner in life, and we did everything together. And so I I think that he'd be really mad at me if I shriveled up and and went inward. I would be mad at you if you did that. <laughs> well, I've got friends like you, Richard, and I cannot wait for you to be back on stage. Yeah, I, I'm, ex I'm, I'm excited, but uh, I'm excited I, you know, I, so Paul, you know, God bless you, and I'm sure that him and Tina are having a good. Uh, They're having fun, and Rita Hayworth, yeah. you know, I, I just felt like, I, I felt like having gone through this, like my character just became so much richer and deeper, and and the only thing I knew to do was to be on that stage and to work through it, you know.
because his laugh wasn't there and his applause and and I you know I could feel the emptiness of where he would sit every show and but and yet he was there you know I know he was there because energy never dies and, that's true that's true yeah. anything that you want to say Judy before we bring on our next guest no I, I just think you know Quinn you're doing exactly what you need to do you're you're taking your grief and and using it to help help your own creative being um, and to be who you are and you know in in a way that you know would, would make your husband proud right I think so I think too when when you go through that kind of grief I, I mean to lose Elliot two weeks before and I and I was with Elliot the night he died I I had to sit, play all those Joe Moody um, songs because Elliot only wanted to listen to songs that were written, you know, before 1950. And I sang to him and and what was so amazing, I, Natalie, I know you know this, the, the power of music because he, as he was passing, like I could see Elliot when I would sing That's All, it was one of his favorite songs. He, his, he would his eyes would just shine and and he'd look up and it was like he was transported to another part time in his life, you know. Music is that powerful, and yes. I think that that's, you know, that's part of the healing. Yeah. Well, I've always said if, if everybody would begin every day with a show tune, there'd be no strife in the world. That's right. That's right. Well, I heard Annie Ross shortly before she passed at Birdland. Um, talk about the song she wrote called Music is Forever. And before she, she sang it, she said, um, she talked about memories and she talked about sitting on a bench when she was 16 in Paris with Billy Strayhorn next to her, teaching her how to sing Lush Life, you know? And wow. so my, my little mind is just like, ah! and she said that all, all those people are gone, you know, all of her touchstones, all the people that taught her when she was young and, and learning about this music. But because because each one of those people put themselves 100% into anything they created. A song they wrote, a song they sang, a recording of a live performance, they were 100% there. So that means that when we celebrate it, when we listen to it, when we sing the song, they come back. Yes. You know, they can never really be gone because 100% of the essence of who they are is in that moment. And I, you know, burst into tears just sitting at the bar at Birdland weeping and smiling because that's such a great image. That's such a, and as you said, energy doesn't go anywhere. You know, there isn't any way in the world to, to get rid of matter. Once something exists, it exists. You can break it into a zillion pieces, and no matter how tiny, down at the atomic level, it's still there. So I can't believe that our souls would be the one thing in the universe that, that just disappears. That makes no sense, you know? So, so we exist beyond the here. We just don't know what that form is. But I love the idea that we're existing in the things we create. Absolutely. And and anyone who loves that legacy, you know, is part of our existence then forever. That's just so cool. That is so when you mentioned about, you know, um, when you sing a certain song, you hear a certain song, it brings back that time in your life, right? Mm -hmm. There's an, an NPR show down here in uh, South Florida, Southwest Florida, where I live, uh, called Biography Through Music. And oh, they cool. have, yeah, they have various musicians come on and talk about what inspired them at different points in their life. And they have to put three songs and then tell the story of why that song 
was so meaningful to them at that point in their life. Mm-hmm. That's, That's cool. That is really so cool. cool. Really fascinating. Yeah. Well, I'm going to bring on our next guest, but before I do so, I saw an interview once with Billie Holiday, and they said, you know, after her version of Good Morning Heartache, for example, mm-hmm. they said, no one else should ever sing that song. And she said, that is the worst thing that you could say to a singer, because every song is to be sung by other singers with their own life story and their own life lessons coming after that. And I thought that was a brilliant thing to say. Well, speaking of which, this man has been waiting very patiently in the wings. Thank you for being here. And uh, I do want to mention that, I mean, you've got an event coming up that you, how many years has this been going on now? Well, the, yeah, the graphic kind of gives it away. The <laughs> Harvard-Yale cantata. Um, I came up with it. I, I think we skipped a year in 2020. It wasn't quite easy to uh, to do live shows. So in maybe 2015 was the first year. Um, I, I, I've just been trying to do fun stuff and trying to do interesting things. And what you were saying before about uh, Quinn and uh, Natalie being tireless, I do think of myself as tireless as well. Uh, I've been producing a lot of shows. And so I came up with this idea because I was working with a young music director who uh, named Madeline Smith, who went to Harvard. And she was 22 and I was 62. But it doesn't matter. Age doesn't matter when what you have is common interest. In fact, nothing matters when you have common interest. It can cross racial and gender and age boundaries because you have something that you love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I want to get back to where we started with this. Tina Turner, did you ever see her perform live or did she, I mean, is there any impact that she has left? When you think about Tina Turner, what are some of the thoughts that go through your mind? Because I think of me, I came to New York in 1979 and her second career, as I like to refer to it, really took off around the same time. And she is the soundtrack to my early years in New York. She's the, the soundtrack to my sort of, I guess, teenage years. I, I remember, uh, you know, uh, Ike and Tina Turner review and uh, proud, she, they did a, a like a hot version of Proud Mary. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, so that's that's what I mostly think of. I think the later part of her career, I was moving on and, and concentrating on other things, and not not so much listening to Tina Turner. Now you mentioned earlier. I mean, you also are tireless in this business, and you're a producer, and you wear so many different hats. And I know uh, with uh, that you're involved in so many different areas of the business. Is there one particular hat that you feel that you wear the most comfortably? And uh, I mean, I mean, obviously this is something you enjoy doing, this cantata that you bring back in eight years. Um, and you know, and it, that seems to be the theme today with all, all of us who have had these long-term uh, positions in the business. You have been very successful with this. Which of the hats do you feel that you wear the most comfortably? It all starts with songwriting. And I think that probably for everybody on this call, it all starts with one thing. You do other things because you have to do other things or because you find that doing other things is going to further the one thing that you love. But what I love is songwriting. And all of the shows that I, I mean, right, I'm on several boards and theaters. I produce a lot of shows, but all of what I do is in the furtherance of songwriting. I'm all about living songwriters. Uh, I think 
every show that I produce has songs written by living songwriters. Not that I don't love Gershwin. Nobody loves Gershwin more than I do. But the Gershwins have had their day, and there's lots of other people promoting Gershwin. Uh, I'm promoting living songwriters. And, and you're, you're the recently deceased. Sometimes I, I run a series called Gone But Not Forgotten, but we'll, we'll get into that too. Sorry, and your, Judy. your focus on children's theater. I want to hear more about that. What got you into that? Right. Uh, you know, children's theater, uh, th there are so few opportunities for songwriters. Whatever you guys think about um, performers and how difficult it is to be a performer, try being a writer sometime uh, in, in this world. It's very tough. And there is a children's theater company called TheaterWorks USA, which is a great company. I, I've actually now, I'm, in, in my way of giving back, I'm on the board of directors of TheaterWorks. Uh, but back in the day, I created uh, several shows for them, not so much because I, uh, my goal was to write for children, but because those were where the jobs were. You go where the jobs are and you go. Th there's nothing so intoxicating to a songwriter as having somebody want your song. That's the thing that motivates me. It's not money. I mean, if there's money, hey, great. But if Natalie tells me, Tom, I got to have a song to open my show in three weeks. Or if Quinn says, you know, if only I had a, a, a song about, well, I don't know what Quinn you might want to talk about, but, you know, I would be motivated to write it. I, I just um, hosted an event for Urban Stages two nights ago and they needed a song. I wrote a song called, get this, I wrote a song called Stress Balls because <laughs> they gave out stress balls in the bag of swag uh, at, at the end of the evening. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, my God, that's perfect. Stress balls. <laughs> what did it rhyme with? <laughs> oh, well, uh, there's a lot of rhymes for stress. A lot of rhymes stress. And there's a lot of rhymes for balls, too. I, I think I mostly rhymed it with, with – well, I know one of the lines said um, – uh, um, Tomorrow, I might give up alcohol. I love the high I get from my stress ball. <laughs> Natalie, I just want to let you know, there's a little feedback coming through. I don't know. It's like a, something where I'm getting uh, some, uh, hmm. there's uh, some feedback coming. So I don't know I, what that could be. No, okay. Uh, but I just wanted to let you know about that. So one of the things that I want to do is, I, you know, I do a lot um, of uh, reading. Uh, one of my favorite uh, writers uh, is Julia Cameron of The Artist Way. Mm -hmm. I begin each day with my morning pages and uh, and I do a lot of reading about the creative process. So I want to have a lot of fun, a little fun with uh, all of you and uh, Judy as well. Um, and uh, so I've got four uh, mystery questions, first of all, one through four. And Judy, I'm going to let you pick the first one, one through four. And uh, just see how creative you are with the answer that you come up with. All right, number three. And the question is, uh, make sure someone gets the credit they deserve. So now is the time for you to give someone in your career uh, the credit that they deserve today. Ah, okay. Um, well, cre the cre credit for my initial career, which was, Anything. Anything, was yeah. with television, right? Uh, that would go to uh, a guy who, who is no longer with us. His name is Mark Monsky. And he was the uh, managing editor at WNEW-TV in New York, which is where I started right out of Cornell. 
Um, and they took a chance on a, you know, a 20 year old kid <laughs> um, and helped me, you know, do get into doing major reporting, including doing undercover work and all kinds of things that TV news hadn't really been doing much of at, at that time. And I was literally the only woman in the newsroom at that time. Wow. Wow. So, well, I'm glad cool. that has changed. Yeah, because it has changed in the industry. Thank God. Um, Natalie, a number one through three. Uh, uh, can I choose number four? Uh, well, four you, choose number three. Uh, oh, that was. I thought that was three. Okay, um, two then. If you want to pick number four, I I pulled from the original deck, so I'm going to go. Okay. You. And it says identify a cause of conflict in a relationship and take steps to resolve it. So we're not going to give away any names here, but in this business, uh, we all deal with conflict. Um, what do you consider, without giving away any names or anything, the biggest conflict that you feel that you've encountered so far in your career, and how did you get through it? Um, well, it is ongoing, <laughs> and it is, um, quite honestly, uh, there are times when I feel the need to bring to um, someone's attention that um, a project is too um, monochrome, and by that I mean too white, um, because that happens a lot. Um, and when that happens, um, I find the best way to deal with it is to be direct and, and private. You know, I don't call people out on social media, um, unless I really have to. Um, and sometimes that works great. You know, sometimes it works really, really well. Um, I know Tom and I had a conversation about this months ago when we happened to run into each other at a show. And um, within a, like a, maybe a week or two, he had reached out to me and said, give me some names of performers of color that I can reach out to. Um, and because I, I have something coming up because he's always busy. Um, and, I, and I don't want it to look like that, you know. And that was amazing. I was so thrilled and delighted that that conversation because it was literally at in passing at another show um had had resonated with him and that he heard me um and sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes people get mad at me and um decide to never work with me again and that's you know how they choose to deal with it but um it's something i've been fighting for for 30 years in this business and i'm never going to stop because i don't know if you saw a picture that i posted today on instagram but i was just in oklahoma a week before last i was in san francisco last week but in oklahoma these three little girls eight six and five um who are adopted black girls who were adopted by a white family um were feeling uh, ugly Someone on the playground said to one of the girls she wouldn't play with her because her skin was dirty. Oh. And um, so their mom brought them to see me backstage uh, before a show and told me that story and asked me to speak with them. So I spoke to the eldest, the one it happened to. And um, she was the most beautiful, charming, you know, delightful child. Um, but you know what? She would have been worthy of that conversation if she was a pain in the butt. You know, it didn't matter. Like, she was gorgeous and wonderful. But if she was awful, she still shouldn't be talked to like that. And um, so I talked with her for a while, and, and we had a very good time, and she was so adorable. And then she saw the show, and her mom told me that, that she got home and said to 
her baby sisters. Um, you know, I saw, I met Natalie and she was on stage and she sang great and she was funny too. And, and she's brown like us. And I burst into tears. Like that changed that little girl's life in that moment, in a moment she needed just because I showed up and did what I do. You know, so I'm always going to fight for there to be room for people who look like me, people who are AAPI, people who are indigenous, people who are Latinx, people who are queer, people who are non-binary. I'm always going to fight for the, the stages to look like the world because every time a little kid sees somebody who looks like them, somebody who shares their story, it changes a life forever, you know, so it's worth doing. So that's my biggest conflict probably. Well, first of all, I want to applaud you uh, for actually speaking out because a lot of people feel it, and I'm sure Judy will agree with me on this. A lot of people feel it, but a lot of people don't speak out. I lead a book group, and uh, the book that we're reading right now, as a matter of fact, we have a, a session tonight at 7 o'clock, and we're reading The Four Agreements. And I don't know if you've all read The Four Agreements, but The Four Agreements are uh, never take anything personally, uh, be impeccable with your word. Don't make assumptions. And it's not about you. And uh, so it's important that you do speak out. And so, Natalie, I applaud you for that. So thank you. Because, uh, you know, a, a lot of times people are afraid to speak out for fear that they are going to lose work. Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, there's, there's a, a question that I want to ask each of you that, because of something that you brought up earlier, Natalie. But I want to ask you, Quinn, first of all, to pick a number one through three. And I'm going to get back uh, to you, Natalie, in a moment. Uh, uh, one through three. One. And your question is, well, it says pay it forward. Give this, um, well, share this show today with someone that you think needs to hear the message that we're talking about today. With everything that we've covered, is there anything that you feel that you've had this conversation on any of the levels that we've discussed with another person and you feel that they need to hear what we're talking about today? Yes, I, I do. I, my costume designer, um, he, his, he lost his sister um, through, she took her life uh, six months ago. And he's really, they weren't that close, but he's trying to deal with it. And I think that his creative process and, and he's been paying it forward, um, uh, working with design and costumes at a, a high school for performing arts in New Jersey. And it's a very um, a mixed group of kids, which is so wonderful to see all of these productions that they're doing and they are having, you know, mixed casts and so on and at, at a young age. And I think that he would really, well, he will enjoy this this program because there were, we've touched on so many elements of, of the creative process and authenticity and paying it forward. And uh, I just, um, you know, the whole creative process, I think, is moving energy into, you know, into the world and giving to other people, connecting. And I, I'm definitely going to share this program with him. Thank you. Uh, Tom, uh, there are two cards left, one or two. There are two left. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so two. And your card is, uh, use your skills to empower someone else today. Well, you've empowered us. 
But uh, how do you use your skills as a songwriter to empower others? Oh, wow. That's a, <laughs> you know, everybody answers the question these days by first saying, that's a good question. <laughs> oh, that's a good question. But that is really a good question because it is something that I believe in. You know, um, songwriting is hard and this world is hard and promotion is hard and self-promotion is hard and self-promotion is unattractive or can be but promoting somebody else is not unattractive so so i i, I guess maybe i call it like self-interested altruism <laughs> i um i do a lot for other songwriters i run a songwriting group um, that I started seven years ago. Bernie Fershpan at the Metropolitan Room asked me to start a songwriter group. And we've been going strong for seven years. And in the last uh, bout of MAC nominations, all 10 of the songwriting nominations were written by people affiliated with my group. Wow. Um, wow. And I have recently started a Spotify playlist which is um, wonderful, by the way. I love your Spotify playlist. Yeah. So that's a brand new thing. I, I, and and what, what that is about is, you know, sp saying that you have a song on Spotify is like saying that you have a book in the Library of Congress. It doesn't really mean anything. You know, you've got to get people to get to it. And there are all these playlists on Spotify. And as my eyes were glazed over, as I was trying to find out how to get my songs on them, it's like, you got to go hat in hand. You got to beg people. You got to pay people. And I just said, screw it, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to make my own playlist. I'm going to have people begging me to be on the playlist. And so I started this and it's, it's a monthly 10 song playlist. Uh, two of the songs will be by me, but the other eight, will be by and the, the criteria for the other eight is they have to be, be people that I know and or have met and one of them is the gone but not forgotten slot so I did a song by Lou Spence and I did a song by Dick Gallagher um, there's only one out of the ten that will always be by, by a songwriter that I don't know and that's my playlist will always have a song by Taylor Swift because Taylor Swift is brilliant. Um, so that's it. It's 10 songs by people I know and Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's why I asked you to come on today. I mean, when I got your playlist on Saturday, and I think it was, I don't know why, it was the first time that I was aware of the playlist, number one. But I, I, I loved it. I listened to it straight through. Uh, Anne Hampton Calloway, who I love. If you're listening, Anne, I want you on the show sometime. But Anne Hampton Calloway asked on Facebook today if people listen to albums uh, from start to finish the way that we used to. And I listened to the playlist. And whether it's intentional or not on your part, there's a theme that seems to go through with the songs that you choose. So uh, I, and of course, Jay Rogers, who was my director for my show before he passed away. Um, well, obviously before he passed away. Um, but, uh, but Jay Rogers was such a light in my life. And to hear him singing on your playlist on Saturday really got to me. So uh, kudos to that. Uh, I know, Judy, that you're going to have to go in a few moments. I'm watching okay. the time with you. I'm not going to let it go over for you. Everyone, you're going to get a chance to give your final word. But I want to ask um, a question of each of you. And uh, Judy, you can start if you want, but 
you know, and it, it without going into great detail, part of this brought you and me together. Right. But uh, I want to know how outspoken uh, you feel that we should be as artists. Um, Dolly Parton, as we know, doesn't speak out uh, about her uh, political affiliations. Neither does Reba McIntyre. And there are a few that say they won't do it. Um, and then there are others. I have had the good fortune of being in the audience uh, of Barbara Streisand. When Barbara Streisand is, she, you know where she stands. And Barbara's assistant, uh, you know, uh, is, you know, is you and I, she and I are on the same page. So we're constantly, you know, putting things out there. I think especially in today's world, uh, right now, and I'm going to tell everyone that next Friday is National Gun Violence Prevention Day. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ryan Busey, who has written the book Gunfight, he was a member of the NRA. He is a Republican, and he's written this brilliant book, uh, is going to be my guest next uh, Friday morning. So I'm very uh, excited that we are going to talk about that because that is something that I am very, very passionate about. Um, and uh, and right now we've got this situation going on with Target where they are pulling things off of their shelves. Pride Month is coming up in just a few days. And uh, a lot of, I heard in Wilton Manors, which is probably one of the gayest places on the planet, that they are not doing any drag shows for Pride for fear of retaliation in the state of Florida. So, and uh, Whippy Goldberg did an incredible talk yesterday morning about how, you know, she's going to go to the drag punches and she's going to support uh, drag queens because they are flamboyant and out there. And, and I will say that in the 20 years that I performed as Carol, it was never an issue. And now all of a sudden it has become an issue. Um, mm -hmm. Since I know that you have to go early, Judy, I'm going to let you go first, and I'd like to get your take on your feel about people being outspoken and being uh, putting their personal message out in the world of social media nowadays. You know, it's it's that, that's, I think it's such a personal decision. I really do, um, because it also goes to how much you can tolerate the kind of negative feedback that you get when you do do that uh, on that kind of a level, like putting something out on a Facebook page or something or an Instagram or whatever, um, as opposed to just in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone, which I think is different. Uh, so it's really about what you can tolerate. As you know, I think Richard, my, my husband, Tom is very outspoken. Um, which I love. And he, you know, he'll engage politically with anybody uh, at any format, <laughs> you know, and really get in there. And he's, he's so, he's a documentarian, right? So he's so fact-based that they really have a hard time arguing with him. Uh, <laughs> and he's written a great book, everyone, by the way, is What Do You Do With the Chocolate G? Yeah, that's very funny. Which is very funny. <laughs> and it's a very funny book. But yeah, I do it. I definitely do it on a one-on-one -on -one level when I'm talking to people. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very clear as to who I am and what I believe in and what I support and what I find distressing, especially, especially since I'm now living in the state of Florida. Right. Um, so I feel an obligation to do that. Uh, and I, I do it with my California friends in, a, you know, in, in talking to them about 
how different it is here um, politically, and you know how 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 people people try to walk a very fine line on a personal level. Um, I think because they're they're afraid of who they might be talking to and not being sure what the other person's politics really are. So it's 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 I think it's a very personal decision. Okay, and do you have to leave us now? Uh, I've got a couple of minutes. Well, actually, no, I should probably sign out. Okay. So uh, I, I'm going to wrap everything up and uh, we'll wrap it up with a nice little vote. Natalie and Quinn and Tom, you can stick around for just a few more minutes. Am I right? Yeah. Right. Yes. Okay. Great. Thank you. And I'll see you in two weeks. Thank you. Bye-bye, Bye. Judy. Thank you. Bye, Judy. Bye, Judy. So Natalie, I want to ask you the same question. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think it, the answer is really obvious. Um, I've always been a political creature. I grew up in a political family. Uh, my godfather was the mayor of Los Angeles for 20 years. So politics was the family business. And uh, I'm also black in America. I don't have an option. So um, I understand Judy's point of view completely. Um, and I can respect that it is an option for her to not. Um, but I feel that... If you're black in this country, if you're queer in this country, if you're AAPI in this country, you don't get that as an option. And um, if any of us could have solved racism, we already would. If black people could solve racism, we would have done it already. We can't. It's on the people who created it. Sorry, that's you white people. So we all have to participate in dismantling it. All of us. And... It can be personal, you know, one-on-one, what she was talking about, the way she speaks to friends uh, or, or, or strangers even, but, you know, in, on one-on-one conversations. But I think it has to be consistent and constant. And um, it costs me every day to live in this country. There are things that are uncomfortable. There are things that are painful. There are things that are frightening. There are things that are actually life and death to exist in this country. So I kind of don't have a lot of patience, though I try, for people for whom all I'm asking is is for them to be uncomfortable occasionally. You know, I'm not asking them to risk their lives. I'm not asking them to risk even their livelihoods. Um, but but to, to be outspoken and to not just let it go by because this time it's awkward or this time it's, it's, you know, uncle George and he's just like that. And, you know, to, to always engage. Um, that's what I believe, but you know, I'm not in control of anybody else's behavior. So people do what they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, God bless you. I mean, there's a great movie, gentlemen's agreement, which mm-hmm. is about anti-Semitism in this country. Yeah. And there's, it's a, a great movie. movie. It's mm-hmm. a great movie, but there's a moment. And Gregory Peck was a brilliant supporter of my godfather. That's how I met him actually. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a great moment in the film with John Garfield, where John Garfield, who is Jewish, uh, and uh, uh, he's talking, I guess, with Dorothy McGuire. Mm-hmm. And Dorothy McGuire uh, is telling a story about being at a party and someone telling an anti-Semitic joke. And he said, and how did you respond to it? And she basically sugarcoated the fact that uh, she let it slide by. And he said, you can't afford to just let it slide by. And I think it's important. And I want to talk about that. Each of you are going to get a chance to get your final word today uh, beyond this question. So that's why I wanted to know if you could all stick around a little longer. Quinn, I want to ask you the same question. I, I mean, I'm just, I don't understand 
what's going on. And I think that I think that we really need to take a stance in terms of of where we where where we support people, you know, where or where we shop, you know. I I I, I don't understand like so so many so much in the gay community, a lot of people are in Florida and I, I don't understand why people are buying places down there right now or living there. And I would, I, I would think that there would be a mass exodus because these people are so financially and power driven that, that if they, if there was a way, like I won't shop at certain places. Um, you know, it was interesting because, well, Natalie, I mean, you know, when you're on the road and you're in tertiary markets, it's scary. It's scary. Like I go home to Indiana. Mike Pence is from my hometown and it's scary. And you look and you think you see someone like that and you go, how did you even, you know, exist or how did you even get into power? And he was so awful to the gay community in, in Indiana. My sister is married to a woman. And, and I mean, the fighting, the, the protesting that we all had to do in Indiana. He also didn't want um, Obamacare to go into the state of Indiana. He started his own exchange because everybody's going to pay. I mean, and that means marginalized people, people that are not white, Christian, oh, wow, that's a helicopter. I'm on Fire Island, you guys. Yes. And so, yeah, I think that we need to real. I we need to have an outspoken voice, and I think we also need to um, really think about where we shop. And it was interesting because we were playing in Georgia. We were doing our David David Bowie show, and all my artists were gay, and, or are gay. And um, it was so funny because guess who the sponsor was? Chick Chick Fil A. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I had never had a Chick-fil-A because I don't believe in the, their, their stance. It's like going to Hobby Lobby. I mean, yeah. I set foot in one of those. And I was like, I can't believe this. Here I have this fabulous show. And, and guess who the sponsor is? Wow. Wow. Well, I also want to mention, I'm originally from South Carolina, enough said. Uh, Tom, <laughs> uh, same question to you. Yeah, well, it's, like a lot of things in life, it's a complicated issue. I, I, I mean, I think doing anything is hard. Um, on the songwriting front, you know, I'm often just trying to get my songs heard by anybody. And, and you know, so I don't necessarily want to encumber a song with a political message because then that makes it that much harder to get anybody to sing it if they're not aligned with, with whatever the political me message might be <laughs> to wit. I wrote, I think it was a very funny, satirical, biting song called Heather a couple of years ago. And it, uh, it was a gun control song. It's about Heather. The, the, the idea of the song is they ran out of Uzis for Heather. Heather teaches first grade. And this was a, a song about, you know, the movement to arm public school teachers so that, uh, you know, the, the way to get a bad man with a gun is to have a good man with a gun. So I gave a, I gave a complaint about how the school board wouldn't give enough money to get more Uzis for Heather. Um, and, and she played Annie Oakley in stock. So she was good for, uh, for, for, for having an Uzi in first grade. But, you know, you write a song like that, and it's just damn hard to, to get anybody to sing it. 
Um, and, and, but another topic that we were talking about, uh, which is, I guess, diversity. So, yeah, Nat- Natalie made uh, that comment kind of in passing, uh, and I took it seriously, and I asked her for recommendations to get some more representation in uh, some shows. And I, I used uh, actually the same guy, David Lamar, uh, and a couple of other performers. But I used David in several shows yeah. that I did, Natalie, you'll be happy to know, including the Taylor Swift show that I produced. It's hard, you know, the, the black community is not rallying around Taylor Swift, so it's hard to find black performers who want to sing Taylor Swift. That's um, not true. Taylor has Taylor has quite the presence on black Twitter. I mean, there oh, are yeah, there are there are plenty of black Taylor fans, there are plenty of black country fans. Um, we just don't get the attention or the spotlight. Um, and and I will say there is some uh, Taylor's political or at, at, at one time a political stance was problematic for a lot of people. Um, I know that she has since been more outspoken about what she thinks and what she believes, but for a long time she was not, and that was problematic. Well, I didn't know that, but you know, again, not a lot of people wanted political statements out of a seventeen. Right, right, absolutely, yes. But it's just when you have you know several billion um, people following you, um, that's an opportunity, you know, and um, and and there were things happening that seemed like she sh- should maybe be speaking to those girls in particular who are following her as women's rights are being stripped away, you know? Um, my, my main message that I would say, Richard, to answer your question is as a writer, as a producer, as an artist, is it's important to be in the world. And, you know, whatever that means, be in the world, be interested in the world, be interested in people. W- w- one of the ways to get... I just look for the best performers I could find and I'd like them all not to be of one race, but you, you know, so, so then therefore the answer is meet more people, meet more people. Absolutely. I, you know, first of all, I want to thank all of you. I think this is a very important message show today. And I love the fact that you all are activists in terms of the work that you put out there. Uh, I want to thank everyone for being here. I'm going to give my final comments today and then I'm going to turn it over to you, Natalie and then Quinn, and then Tom, you'll have the final word. And don't worry about how to end the show. As soon as you say goodbye, the final credits will roll. Um, But just before COVID, I signed on with with a management company. And when the preceding president was uh, in the White House uh, running during the Republican National Convention, I'm gonna put it out there, um, he invited some gold star families to the White House. You may all remember that. And it really got under my skin because they were being used as pawns and props. And I spoke out about it. And I posted it on Facebook the next day that people needed to wake up to what was going on. Well, this management company that I had signed on with um, contacted me and they said, you have to be very careful with what you are putting out there because we want to book you around the country and there are certain people that may have a different point of view and they may not want to book you based on what you are putting out there publicly. And I, to appease them, I said, okay, I'll pull back. And then a friend of mine pointed out uh, for me to go and check out their postings. 
and their postings were on the complete opposite side of what I was saying. And they were really pushing for Antonio Zapato Jr., who is very conservative. And as a matter of fact, they were working to get him his own studio in uh, California because they said he could not get work in Hollywood because of his political stance. And to me, it's not about Republican, Democrat. It's about saving our democracy. It's about saving each other. It's about being careful with um, every person has a place at the table when and if they are open. But when they bring an agenda to the table, they're not welcome at my table. And uh, I think it's important that we all speak out. And a lot of us can say, you know, that doesn't really concern me. Trust me. It concerns you. If they're diff- if they are upset about uh, a drag queen brunch today, they could be uh, uh, careful uh, uh, tomorrow. They may not want to book someone who has red hair, or the next day they may not want to book somebody who has spectacular eyewear. Uh, it, there could be anything. All it takes right now. Um, and please forgive me. The young girl who is the poet laureate at the Amanda Gorman. Amanda, Amanda Gorman. Gorman. They just took her poem out of schools in Florida because one parent uh, was upset about it. And all it takes is one person uh, to get out there and uh, say, I don't like this, and therefore this person should not have a voice. It's important that those of us who have voices use those voices and speak out. And that's my message for everyone. I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Um, Pick up the phone, and I want all of you to do this today. Natalie, Quinn, Tom, everyone watching, pick up the phone and call someone that you have not spoken to in a long time just to let them know that they matter in your life. Uh, because it may be too late tomorrow or the day after that. It's important that we take the time to do so. Uh, And I don't mean an email or a text message or a private inbox message, a phone call, and let that person know that they have made a difference in your life. Uh, I have a dear friend. He says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. And I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that, <laughs> I'm going to the screen. And Natalie, it's all yours. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Um, well, I just, I, it's been a treat to get to see Quinn and Tom, even virtually, and Richard and Judy, of course. This is, uh, I just got back into town and it's a wonderful way to bounce back into my New York life. Um, uh, but it's great to hear that your guys are so busy and and the things that you're working on and also to connect with us people you know because we're so often racing past one another at shows and you know there's the wonderful hug um and then we go off to do a million other things and uh it's great to spend some time with you uh what richard said really resonates with me um in terms of how fleeting this all is and the moments we have with people we never know which is the last so i'm happy to spend time with you and happy to share these conversations with you about these important things all of it you know um and um i hope that we get to do more of this i hope i get to see you all again very soon oh and i'm supposed to plug um yes uh i will be in indiana next weekend um at 
Carmel at Feinstein's at Carmel with the Back to the 60s show. And then I'm going to be at Birdland on June 19th with the Juneteenth show. And um, anybody listening, I'd love to have you at any of those shows, no matter what you believe politically. I We might learn from each other, you know. <laughs> Thanks a lot. That's it. Bye, Natalie. Beautiful. I will tell everyone in Indiana. I, that's where my hometown is, near 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 Carmel. Anyway, I just think you know, Tom. This has just been so wonderful, and to hear everyone. And I I think that the the best takeaway is that life is precious, and how we other one another, and we need to enjoy every moment that we have with with everyone, and and really also you never know what somebody else is going through and so as we as we as we communicate with people whether it's the person at Dwayne Reed or at the grocery store or the the dog walker you don't know because it like for me I I'm you I lost my husband unexpectedly within 48 hours and you don't know, or somebody's getting married or they're having a baby or they lost a child. You don't know. So I think that we need to be kind to one another and, um, you know, think of our opportunities to connect like Richard said. And so I'm going to listen to the skipper. <laughs> Good night. All right. Quinn. Good night. Wow. So uh, I guess it's all mine now. What I'm taking away from this and what I deeply believe in is about the connection. I feel the connection with Natalie and the connection with Quinn and the connection with Richard. Um, that's why I do it. That's why I write songs is to connect with people. Um, there's not enough money in it, at least in my end of the game. There's not enough money in it to be working with people that you're not interested in or that you don't like. Work with people that you like. Connect with people that you do like. Um, write songs for people that you like. I hope that people reach out and uh, uh, sing my songs. Quinn, when you're done with Rita Hay, when you do your Rita Hayworth show, uh, include a, a new song of mine or of somebody else's. Uh, a song that Rita Hayworth might have sung had she been alive today. That's a good way to work that in. And uh, so support living songwriters and sing sing songs by living songwriters that's what it's what it's kind of all about to me and uh we talked about my connection with natalie it was at 54 below that i saw her at a show when she made her comment about seeing um shows that didn't that weren't made up exclusively of white faces i remember that and i took her advice uh quinn i thought about you the other night, I was at the Players Club at an event. And the last time I was at the Players Club, it was with Elliot Ames. And uh, he passed a few months ago, as we talked about. And I know you were good friends with him. So I did think of you that night as well. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for this uh, uh, chance to, to be on the program with you, to be interviewed by Richard, um, and for the connection. And as far as promotion, we put up the... Uh, image before i've got a show at 54 below uh, september i think it's 17th or 19th called the harvard yale cantata uh, i hope that if you're listening to the show and if you're interested in that you come to it it is a, a competition of september 17th it's a competition of harvard alums against yale alums singing songs written by harvard alums and yale alums and it's always a lot of fun anyway uh thank you so much richard for this opportunity great to see you as always Quinn and Natalie, great to be on the show with you. Bye, everybody.